If you will, if you have your Bible with me, will you turn to Mark chapter nine and we're gonna start reading in verse two or you can follow along on the screen. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became a dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love, listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, for it is a light into our path and a lamp unto our feet. And we ask that you would help us to grasp it this morning. We ask that you would help us to open our eyes and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. So last week I had a uh, visit to the doctor, just a routine sort of thing and had to do some labs and get some blood work done. And so I fasted uh, from food and from coffee that morning. And guys, I got to confess, it was terrible. It was terrible. I mean, it was like some real suffering. Just a few hours uh, to start my day without food or coffee, I was like really suffering. Like there was no joy in anything that I could do. Like I was just mad at having to wait and, you know, just irritated by like the smallest little thing. And the whole morning, it just felt like this miserable fog. Like I was just kind of like living a half-life, like just some kind of zombie. And it was just a terrible, terrible start to my day, all because of a lack of coffee. But guys, when I got back to my car at 11.13 a.m. that morning, I had that first sip of coffee that I had waiting for me in the thermos there, and it was absolutely glorious. I I mean to tell you, it was like a, a transformational experience for me. As I inhaled that coffee, you know, that delightful fragrance just filled my nostrils, and I, I felt the warmth of the coffee hit my tongue, and I felt that incredible, incredible taste of coffee, and I was engaged with all the senses. But the thing that hit me the most was the feeling of coffee, that sixth sense, you know, just that, that feeling that I am now alive. <laughs> I feel, again, like a human uh, being. I feel like I've finally gotten a start to my day. I'm ready to be a productive member of society. And it was like nothing else that had happened that morning actually counted because that was the actual start of my day. I finally felt fully awake in that moment. And maybe you felt that way before, like you weren't really existing until you had the sudden awakening or spark or felt the sensation that you are actually a living, breathing human being, a moment where you were brought out of the fog into the marvelous light of living. But not all wake-up calls are like a cup of coffee, right? Sometimes our wake-up calls can be gradual like that, but sometimes they can be like a bucket full of water over the head. And knowing Jesus calls us to wake up to a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And so that's what we're talking about today. 
And today signals the end of this season known as Epiphany, which means a sudden revelation or awakening. And we've been in this season since Christmas talking about how we're waking up to the glory of who God is in Christ and his coming to us. And so today we're transitioning into a new kind of wake-up call. If Epiphany is all about the opening of one's spiritual eyes to what God is doing around us, then the transfiguration story, which we just read, is like the penultimate example of this. In this story, we see the eyes of a few of the disciples open wide to what God is doing and who Jesus is in a big way. But let's back up here. What's going on in this story? Because it's a little weird at some parts, isn't it? Uh, you might be asking, what is going on here? Uh, and so this occurs right in the middle of the fast-paced gospel of Mark. And for the last eight chapters, we've been journeying with Jesus as he and his crew have scurried around all throughout Judea and Galilee, performing miracles, driving out demons, and preaching the good news that the kingdom of God has come near to us. And so there's a turning point in the book of Mark, uh, just before this story, when Jesus asks his disciple the question, who do you say that I am? And of course, we know that Peter answers him, you are the Messiah. And Mark says, from that point on, Jesus was sharing with them the next phase of this story, the happy, happy, happy truth that he will suffer and die. And for the next several chapters of Mark, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus shows them all the wake-up calls in which this comes to be true. And that brings us to today's story. A few days after Jesus shared these words with the disciples, he takes a select few to the top of a mountain, Peter, James, and John. And he pulls them away from the crowds, from the societies, from the, the distractions of life, and he, to even the other disciples. And he takes them up to a mountain, a secluded place where they could be alone and meet with God in a big way. And then boom, Jesus is transfigured before them. Mark casually drops this phrase transfigured as if we know what that word means. But if I'm being honest, I don't think I've heard that word anywhere else outside of this story except for one place in the Harry Potter series and Professor McGonagall's transfiguration class in which these students, you know, witches and wizards who are in school at, the, uh, at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry transfigure, transfigure objects from one thing to another. But Michael, as he is so technical with words and so many things, helps me to realize that that was actually not transfiguration, it's transmogrification. Now that's a good Michael word for you, transmogrification. And transmogrification is the transformation of, the total transformation rather, of an object's form and appearance. The word transfigured, however, means an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. You see the difference there? And that's what happens with Jesus. He is still Jesus of Nazareth. He's still shaped like a human being. He has arms and legs and hair and clothes on, but he is no longer simply just a human being. He is altogether pure and radiant with clothes wider than all the Clorox in the world could bleach them. He is perfect, spotless, and clean in this moment. But he wasn't alone. He was, he was there with two guest stars from the Old Testament, a couple of guys by the names of Elijah and Moses. Elijah being there to represent all the prophets of the Old Testament and Moses being there to represent the law. And their, their presence there with them signified that Jesus fulfilled all things, that all of scripture is pointing to who Christ is. But the accolades don't stop there because suddenly a cloud comes and this voice from heaven booms down and it's God the Father 
proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. And he says to listen to him. And so we see pretty clearly in this moment, the divine nature of Jesus, right? That's not something a normal human being would experience or undergo here in this life. But after God spoke, it was just them. No Moses, no Elijah, no blinding clothes, no glowing face. It's just them and Jesus. Moment over, back to ordinary life, back to reality. You might be asking yourselves the same question that the disciples had in that moment. What just happened? Like, this is crazy. And for one thing, on top of that mountain, Jesus temporarily shifted into his resurrection body, a body that is undying, that is beyond decay, and that is incapable of being sick. He can pass through walls. He can, uh, he can even float up to heaven eventually is what he does in this body. And the main thing though, is that this body is totally holy. This is the body that the disciples saw again at Easter and that some of them even got to touch. And as hard as it is to imagine, one day we too will experience this kind of body in the consummation when Jesus returns and he stands in judgment of the wicked and restores all of creation. According to scripture, at the end of the world as we know it, those who are in Christ won't actually be floating around in heaven like the angels we think of on Valentine's Day with their little wings. No, it says that we will be raised from the grave just as Jesus was, and we'll be taking on resurrection bodies like this in this story. We too will be made pure, holy, consumed in love and worship for God, and united with him and with the church forever and for all eternity. And we will still be us, but we will be elevated to the highest version of ourselves possible, the best version of us imaginable. That's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool to imagine that, you know, our resurrection bodies might be in shape uh, and and that, that we will be beyond all these issues that we have in this life. And so we have this pretty preview of the future, but what does it actually mean for us here and now? I mean, that sounds good for the future, many, many days off, but what do we do while things are as, in, as they are in this broken world and while we're in these not so transfigured bodies? Despite the majesty and the grandeur of this moment, notice what it is that Jesus transfigured, that the part of him that changes here, he shifts in his flesh and blood and clothes, the very normalcy of humanity. What we are seeing in the transfiguration is not just the divine nature of Christ, but is also the human nature of Christ. He is still Jesus of Nazareth, but he is now glorified. And symbolically speaking, it's not just the mountaintop experiences, spiritually speaking, that we uh, are seeing redeemed in Christ. The everyday, run-of-the-mill, commonplace, day-to-day stuff. That's what's transfigured in our story, in our own lives as we follow Jesus. When we invite God to spiritually fill our lives, our everyday ordinary aspects of life, God can take very humble things and make them transcendent. Just take, for example, the pieces that come together for like a normal worship service in here on Sundays. I mean, my week is filled with things as simple as sending texts and emails and uh, phone calls and uh, untangling cords and sorting out transitions, troubleshooting technical difficulties, writing and rewriting and rewriting sermons, all for this, this moment that we experience here together on Sundays. And I hope that it's a mountaintop experience for you as it is for me so many times, but most of the week, it's just kind of a normal day-to-day grind. 
And yet I can worship God in each and every one of those things that I just named. And I know it might sound like a cheap example because it's still leading toward a formal worship service, but really this can be the, the rule of thumb for all of our lives. We don't need to just worship on the mountaintops of life, but in the valleys and ordinary plains of everyday living. We can worship as we get the kids ready for school, as we meet a friend for lunch. We can worship as we build houses or work a hospital shift. We can worship as we read our science textbooks, as we play our soccer games, as we do anything. We can treat it as an act of worship. And I know that this sounds like a tall task, but it, and it requires a major awakening, an epiphany that Jesus is with us always. And in his glory, he has laid down his life for us so that we might know God and be known by him in each and every moment of each and every day. I think Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase of Romans 12, one and two sums this up really beautifully. So I invite you to close your eyes and listen for, for what you hear that stands out to you. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You can open your eyes now. Now wonder, what is it that stands out to you? What is it that you hear in that? For me, it's, it's not just the big mountaintop spiritual experiences where God wants to speak to us and change and redirect our lives and redefine who we are. It's the everyday, ordinary, getting up, going to sleep, walking around life that he wants to transfigure for us. He can make that into something beautiful as he crafts us into the best version of ourselves. And when we offer ourselves together with the church as a holy and living sacrifice, that's when we see real transformation of who we are. And we're stepping into who, what Christ has done for us and who he is. And when we are awakened to see the glory of Christ, we simply respond to his greatness and his grace by living worship-filled lives. This both transforms us here and now, and it prepares us for our transfiguration in the life to come, in the resurrection. So a new season of awakening, the season of Lent is here with us now starting this Wednesday. And Lent is a time where we wake up to things that we'd often rather sleep through. Things that are about humbling ourselves and about taking up difficult spiritual practices and, and really seeing the, the truth about who Christ is as Lord. And it might be a rough wake up call, but if we do wake up to this, we can feel alive again. We can feel like the world has meaning again. We can be brought out of the fog and into the marvelous light of living. We can be fully awake. Ash Wednesday echoes this truth in today's story that as we are laying down our lives for one another and as Christ has laid down his life for us, we are coming awake and he raises us to new life. 
And so we invite you in the next 40 days to take this posture with us as a church. So how will you wake up to this transfigured life? Maybe there's something negative in your life that's kind of keeping you asleep. Maybe it's, it's social media or television or some bad habit that you need to lay down for these next 40 days and really focus on what it is that God wants you to wake up to. Or maybe it's some spiritual discipline that is lacking in your life like prayer or fasting or reading scripture or worship or being in community with others in small groups. And so maybe there's something that you can take on to help yourself to wake up in this time as well. But it's my prayer that you will come awake to the presence of the living God around you, that you allow yourself to be shaped by the way of the cross, a way that is marked with selflessness, a way that leads to the rejection of selfishness and the embrace of love for God and one another. And may you live a life that is fully awake. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.